So lots of stuff going on. Good old Wyoming, right? Lots of stuff going on. If you were here last week, I, I guess I kind of gave an introduction sermon. See, it was kind of fun to give a whole sermon that's just an introduction, but I guess what you could call it would be an introduction sermon for kind of the series I want to do for the next little bit about our mission and our vision. And mission and purpose is basically what I called it. And so last week, I wanted to kind of impress on you this idea that mission and purpose are, are really important to us as people. Um, in our culture, you know, everybody has some sort of mission or vision that they're working towards, right? Businesses and organizations understand this, and they make mission statements or vision statements for where they want to go. If they're a business, they make a mission about that product that they want to provide. Or if you're an organization, you have a, a mission about what you want to do for the community, right? And so us as Christians, we have the same desire. We want to have a mission. We want to have a vision. But see, ours is even greater because we don't just come up with it willy-nilly. We don't just come up with it out of the blue, but we have a mission from God. And I shared some of that with us last week um, about kind of what mission we have from God, right? And I shared Jesus himself had a straightforward mission. And actually, we saw it again today in Luke chapter 5, Luke 5, 32. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's the one we saw today. And then last week, I talked about in the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, um, where his mission was there when he came to seek and save the lost. His mission was there, right? And so Jesus and his apostles continued that mission. I shared last week as well, uh, Matthew 28, 19, one we're very familiar with, the beginning of our mission, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's what our mission is based upon. We look to Jesus, and then we look to our mission that he gave us. So last week, I really wanted to make the point, the importance of this idea of mission. That was kind of my point to get us started. Jesus had a mission himself. He gave it to the disciples, and the disciples started the church, right? And that's continuing the mission today. So I guess you could say we still have the same mission statement as Jesus and the apostles. But I did share our specific mission statement as a church. I said, what is our mission statement as a church? And you might have noticed it. It's on the wall this morning. And I shared it last week. This is our mission statement that we've had probably for about a dozen years or so. It says, at the Riverton Church, we are striving to become the kind of church described in the Bible, a church with relevant teaching, heartfelt worship, honest friendships, constant prayer, and compassionate care for those in need. That's our mission statement as this body of Christians right here that gather together on 39 Gas Hills Road. That's our mission statement taken from what uh, God has given us in those scriptures and bringing it to our community and our situation, right? And I shared that I really love this mission statement. I think it's a good one, if you will. Um, and I'm glad that it was developed many years ago because I can see some really great pieces of it. So what I'm going to do here in the next few weeks is I'm going to break this up a little bit. I want to talk about different parts of this mission statement and how we uh, can live them out, 
how we can apply them to our lives and how we can really live our mission, right? And the first piece I want to talk about is right here at the beginning. And if you guys were here with us last summer, I did that, that Thing That You Know series. I'm going to kind of do this the same way, right? We have different pieces like relevant teaching, heartfelt worship, that thing that we do, relevant teaching, relevant worship. So I'm going to talk about them in the same way, right? But right here at the beginning, there's really a great piece to this mission statement. It's the first line. At the Riverton Church, we are striving to become the kind of church described in the Bible. What a great opening line to a mission statement in my opinion at least. I don't know what you guys think about it, but I think it's a great, great opening line to the mission statement. We are striving to become the kind of church described in the Bible. So that's what I want to talk about today. This first line right here, what does that mean to us? Well, the very first thing I see when I look at this mission statement for us is somebody was really thinking when they came up with this, because it's the word striving. I'm glad that when they developed this mission statement, they didn't say, we will always be perfect at becoming the kind of church described in the Bible. No, the word striving was put there right at the very first sentence, right? So what does striving mean? Well, striving from the Google Dictionary says, to strive is to make great efforts to achieve or obtain something, or to struggle or fight vigorously. That's a pretty good definition. To make great efforts to achieve or attain something, or to struggle or fight vigorously. So just a small little verb, but what's it mean? Well, we're struggling with. We're making great effort. We're pushing towards something, but we haven't arrived there yet. See, Paul would say it like this, and I read this last week as well, Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Even Paul would say, I'm not there yet, but I press on. That's what a mission is, right? It's what we are pressing on towards. So right away in the beginning of our mission, we are saying this, we're pushing towards, we're struggling with, and we're trying our very best to be a church that's described in the Bible. You know what else striving also points out? It means we're not perfect yet. It means we're working towards it, but we haven't achieved it. Good way for me that I had to think about this was, if I am striving to be a millionaire, it's a pretty good goal, right? In this world, that's like the top thing anybody ever wants to be in this world. If I'm striving to be a millionaire, once I reach a million dollars, I can't strive for that anymore, can I? I've obtained it. I can no longer strive to be a millionaire. I just am one. So what are we doing as a church? Well, we're striving. So if we're trying to become the church that's described in the Bible, we're working on being there. We're not quite perfect yet. So don't think this is the perfect church. Don't think that any church is the perfect church. I want to like restate that over and over again, right? Because we are just working to be the church described in the Bible. We might mess up once or twice. We might miss something, but we're going to go back to it and try our very best yet again. Know that you're not perfect, we're not perfect, and I'm not perfect, right? 
That's who we're trying to be. So we're not perfect, but we're trying to be the church described in the Bible. We're trying to look like what the church looked like in the Bible. So what is the New Testament? What does the Bible say about the church? Well, there's a lot in the New Testament about the church. And it's pretty safe to say that the New Testament, most of it is about the church in some way or another. You know, it's not always direct commands about what the church should look like, but almost the whole New Testament is talking about the church in some way or another, right? So how do we look like what the church looked like there? Well, the very first thing I want to point out is that we're trying to look like Jesus Christ. We're trying to look like a church of Jesus, not a church of anything else. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus has been doing his ministry here on the earth for a while, and he's talking with his apostle, Simon Peter. You guys might be familiar with this scripture in, in Matthew 16. And I'll have you turn there. We're going to look at a verse here in a second. But he's talking to Peter, and he's talking about the religious culture that they're in right now. And Jesus poses this question to Simon Peter. He says to him, Peter, who do people say I am? Who do they say I am? And Peter basically says, you can look this up, he basically says, well, they have lots of answers. Um, some say you're a prophet, some say you're John. Basically, nobody really knows who you are, but they know you're pretty good. But we're not really sure who you are. You're doing some good stuff, though. That's what people say you are. So that's what people say I am. But then Jesus turns back to Peter, and he says who do you think I am? And that's where this comes out, Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And without missing, without missing a beat, Christ turns back to him and says, all right, Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter says, you are God's son. You are Christ. And Jesus says, that's what this church is going to be about. See, he wasn't saying to Peter, you know, this physical piece of dirt that we're standing on, that's where the church is going to be built. Some people get confused about that. No, he's saying, if you say, I am the rock, then build on me. If you really believe that I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that's what the church is based upon. Ooh, Peter said the right thing, and Jesus said the right thing there. Because the point is, this church that Peter is working with, the same one to us today, needs to be built on Jesus Christ. Nothing else. No better way to say that than how Jesus said it. That's kind of hard to do sometimes. I'm sure Peter struggled with that in the beginnings of the New Testament. We struggle with it today, but we want to be the church built on only Jesus Christ. That's, that's what our name is, right? Church of Christ. What's that mean? The people of Jesus Christ. Now, our culture has really muddied that up and made that really tough. Because we're not the church of Christ that worships Joseph Smith, okay? 
We're not the church of Christ that worships anybody else. We're not the church of Christ that worships the Pope. And we're definitely not the church that worships Harold. Please don't ever do that. Don't even try. But we want to be the true one that worships only Christ. So we're going to try and put everything and everyone else out of the way because we want to be the church that's described in the Bible. And how Jesus said it is, build the church on me, not on anyone else. So that's a part of the way that the church is described in the Bible. And we're striving to become the church described in the Bible, right? But how else does the New Testament describe the church? Well, there is a ton. As I said, the New Testament is basically a description of the church through the goods, the bads, and everything else in between, right? But we have guidance from Jesus himself. We have guidance from the apostles in some forms of letters. First and second Corinthians is a good example of how to get back on track with the church, right? In Timothy, we have instructions about how we can elect leaders, shepherds and deacons and all of that stuff. So I invite you, you can look throughout the New Testament and find a lot of descriptions of the New Testament church. And I can't look at them all today. It would take a month, right? (laughs) But I want to just point out a few specific things about how the church is described in the Bible. A few specific things that we can do to look like it. And so I'm going to go to the book of Acts, because Acts has the beginning of the church, right? So let's go to Acts here. And I'm going to be in in chapter 2 here in a little bit, if you want to follow me there. Acts chapter 2, and we'll pick up in verse 1. But I'll hop around Acts a little bit today. Acts 2, and we'll pick up in verse 41. I'm sorry about that. So after Jesus has come to this earth, he's been put on the cross, he's resurrected, and where we're picking up right now, he has ascended back to God might be wrong on that, actually. That might be in between these two chapters. But the church has started now, right? Picking up here in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Let's see what they're doing as a church. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, let's stop for a second. The church is already big, right? Peter was just preaching, and he gave a sermon that brought 3,000 people to be baptized. Okay, the church has really started here. These guys got it going. Thousands of people. Let's keep reading. Verse 42. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they might have need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we pick up here in Acts chapter 2, and the church is started. And thousands were just added to their number. So they have a lot of people that they are trying to live as Christ-like. The church fully exists now. That's my point with it. Lots of disciples, not just 12, thousands, right? And we can see what the beginning of this church looks like. We can see how it's described in the Bible, and right here's a great thing in chapter 2. They came together, 
They devoted their lives to Christ, and they broke bread in remembrance of Jesus. Hopefully those are some things that you see happening in this group, right? We come together, we break bread in remembrance of Jesus. And this scripture right here said they have all things in common. Have you ever stopped to think about that for a little bit? Does that mean they all had the same hobbies? I don't think so. They were different people. What does all things in common mean? Huh. They were all there for a purpose. We're all here because guess what? I was a sinner saved just like you. We we're talking about that a little bit this morning. We're all here in common as saved sinners. We're all here to worship Jesus. And then they took that a step further and they truly tried to live like Jesus. By what? Loving and caring for one another, one another, right? They tried to have fellowship in a community, taking care of one another so that nobody might have a need. So they're taking care and building community and all with one thing in common. Jesus saved me too, brother. Jesus saved me too. So that's part of what the church looks like. I hope that you see that here at this church because we are striving to be a church described in the Bible. Again, how else is the church described in the Bible? Well, just a few chapters away in chapter 4. Verses 32 through 35 is what I'm going to read. Again, I could probably read all of Acts and it would be relevant today, but that's okay. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Now the full member of those, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had any need. So we just read in Acts chapter 2 that they came together to break bread and worship and fellowship, and it's continued here in chapter 4. The community aspect is still there, isn't it? Not only are they fellowshipping together, they are taking extreme efforts to make sure everyone is taken care of. I mean, that was big in their culture. I'm glad that sometimes we don't have to sell all of our possessions and gather them together. We're very blessed in America, aren't we? We can take care of people without selling our whole house to do so. But that's what they were doing. They were making sure everyone had a, a place to live and food to eat because they were going to be a community. They were not going to be selfish. They were be going to be God-serving collectively. And so we see the example of taking care of one another yet again. We also see the example here of what a church described in the Bible looks like. Well, it looks like there's teaching. The apostles were teaching. What were they teaching? The good news about Jesus. So I think that's really important for us to keep doing, teaching the good news. And also, people were bringing contributions to the church so that they can continue to help people. As a young man, I always thought that was weird. Have you ever thought about that in church? You're like, this place takes money not even that good of a show for that much money. That's my, my little boy thinking, right? 
But why do we do that in our modern church? Well, it's the same reason that they were doing it to the apostles right here. They were bringing proceeds to the leaders of the church. Why? So the church could collectively take care of people. So there's a challenge for us to bring proceeds to the church, sure, but even greater is that the church collectively should be taking care of people. So that's something I think we always need to keep developing. We always need to be taking care of people. One more section of Scripture in the book of Acts. Two more chapters down. Acts chapter 6. And these two Scriptures above in 2 and 4, I shared how the community was coming together and how we really ought to be taking care of people. That's definitely a description of the church in the Bible. But let's read what's happening here in chapter 6, because it ties into that. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procreus, and Nechar, and Timon, and Parmphius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests also became obedient to the faith. All right, so what's the New Testament church look like? Well, they came together to worship and break bread and fellowship together. They came together to take care of people. And when they came together to take care of people, it was tough. Do you see that? They were still increasing in numbers, but you know what happened? A complaint arose. Who would have thought? What a cordial way of saying that, right? Within the body, there can be struggles. Did you notice? Um, this says in my version, the Hellenists brought the complaint to the Hebrews. Interesting enough, basically, this complaint didn't even come from the church. This came from the community. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? So if we are to be taking care of the church and the community, the complaint might come from the community. What was the complaint? Well, you said you were going to take care of everybody, church, and you're skipping our old ladies. You're skipping our widows. And you said you would take care of all the widows. So what do they do? Well, they decide to pick a few people that would be in charge of taking care of the food distribution. They would pick a few people that would be in charge of that ministry. Remember, this is a brand new church, increasing by hundreds to thousands every time they have a sermon. Man, can you imagine the craziness that's going on? Of course, there's probably some people getting missed. I'm not sure seven guys in charge, that's even enough. So they pick a few people to be in charge of this specific ministry right after Jesus is gone. They were supposed to be taking care of people in need, and they needed to focus on that. But the disciples were saying, 
We need to focus on continuing to preach the gospel. So they appointed, is the word they use there, uh, some people to do that. So what's the application for us today? Well, first off, yes, we should keep serving. Second off, we'll probably get a complaint every now and again because we're striving to be the church. But also, it's okay to have your job. It's okay, this is one's for me, to not have all the jobs. And it's okay if your job is feeding people. And it's okay if my job is preaching to people. And it's okay if your job is teaching the class and your job is cleaning the building and your job is taking someone to coffee. I saw you, Craig. You took somebody to coffee on Main Street this week. I don't know who he was, but he was sitting on a bench and you took him. I saw you. We are all working in the church. And we all have appointed, if you want to use that word, different jobs. And we still do that official uh, servant appointing occasionally. We have some official servants appointed, um, you know, in this church. You don't have to know who they are, but we have a specific jobs appointed. But we can all serve in various ways. And that's what the New Testament church looks like. The New Testament church looks like absolutely coming together to worship. It looks like bringing thousands of people to Christ, you guys. I think we need to step it up. But also, what's it look like? Well, it looks like serving people. And I think we always need to try and do better at that. It looks like dealing with troubles and pushing through adversity and serving people despite that. And it looks like doing your specific job, whatever it might be. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of striving to become the kind of church described in the Bible. I'm so, so glad we put the word striving on there at the beginning. Because we are going to be imperfect, but we're going to try our best to serve people. We're going to try our best to live out this mission statement in each and every part of it as I continue in this series. Because at the Riverton Church, we're striving to be the type of church described in the Bible. Thank you.